Martin Luther, the Reformationist, made a comment in regards to the home, in regards to parents. And I thought it was appropriate for this morning. Martin Luther said this, The home must be the initial staging ground for the advancement of the gospel. In each home, parents are priests. And it's their sworn duty before God to set the gospel before the entire family. He says, as parents, our job is to be priests. So as a parent, your job is to introduce Jesus to your, parent, or to your children and to train them up so that one day they will own their own faith. They will take ownership of their faith. It will be theirs. They'll claim it. That's our job as parents. That's our role to do that. It is, you know, it's our job to do that. It's not my job as a parent to make sure my kid gets into college. It's not my job as a parent to make sure that my kid gets some trade to go out into the world and earn an income. My job as a parent is to make sure that they are in heaven. That's my number one job. Everything else falls second to that. And that's really difficult in our society because what society say? Well, you got to raise them up. You got to make sure that, you know, you have money set aside for college. You got to make sure that they're getting good grades. You got to make sure they're not in the principal's office at school. And here's what I found I found that if I, that if I put God first, the other stuff will begin to fall in line. If I, if I have to worry about making sure they're not in the principal's office and then getting good grades and then saving for college and then figuring out what they're doing on the internet and then figuring out what they're watching on TV, it all just kind of, I got to piecemeal it all together. But if I say, listen, we're just going to focus on what Jesus wants us to do and we're just going to grow as a family into spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ. If we focus on that, everything else begins to domino. And this morning we're going to look at in Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6, we're going to look at Noah and the flood as a result, as a result of family life and the result of the world around it. You see, what happened with the flood was this. The world had come to a place where God's like, I'm done with this. I'm done with humanity. I'm starting over. And so he looks down and he says, okay, I found a family down here, and I found a man who's walking before me. The Bible says that prior to what we're about ready to read, prior to this, the whole earth was filled with violence. People were marrying whoever they chose to marry. The earth was full of violence. In fact, Jesus even said that when he returns, the second coming of Jesus, he says, it will be as it was in the days of Noah. He goes, it will be like the days of Noah when I come back the second time. So what's the world like in Noah's day? Well, I just gave you a little bit of a description of that. And so God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe the slate clean. And in the New Testament, it alludes to the flood as being a baptism, if you will. God baptized the earth and said, we're starting over. And we're going to be having baptism Sunday here in a few Sundays. And that's one of the things that baptism represents is washing clean. My sins are gone. And now I'm coming up to new life. And this is what happens in the story of Noah. So let's read in Genesis chapter 6, 
And we're just going to read verse 9. Let's start there. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah was a righteous man, and he was blameless among the people of his time. Did it say Noah was perfect? That's not a rhetorical question. You can answer that. No, it doesn't say he's perfect. It doesn't say that he doesn't mess up. In fact, when you get to the end, when you get to the end of the flood, I don't know what happened, the stress of being in the ark and the storm with all the animals and feeding them. I don't know what happened, but Noah became an alcoholic and got drunk. And you can read it for yourself. Like, he got drunk, took all of his clothes off, and passed out in his tent. Okay? And you can read, read that after the flood. Right? He wasn't a perfect man. He wasn't a perfect man, but it says that he was blameless. He did his best to walk before God in what he understood and what he knew. And I think a lot of times as parents, we think, I have to be perfect. And we put all of this stress on ourselves. And you know why? Because we scroll through social media or talk to our friends and they're holding the perfect little signs, little perfect chalkboard signs, first day of school, when I grow up, I want to be a fireman, and my favorite color is blue. And, and, and we put all of this pressure on ourselves to be this perfect parent. And we look at everybody else and we thought, yeah, we all laugh because, oh, peer pressure stopped in high school. No, it didn't. Peer pressure exists right now. That kid's got a $100 baseball bat. And soon, right after the game, where do you go? You go to the sports store because my kid needs a $100 baseball bat, right? Because he's got to have the best shoes and they got to be the, and we put all of this pressure on ourselves. And the Bible says that God chose Noah because he was blameless before God, not because his kids had the best cleats. Not because his kids were honor roll students or for whatever other reason. He walked blameless before God, and because of that, God spared his family. His right standing with God, God said, you know what, because you're in right standing with me, I will spare your family from what's about to come, what's about to happen. And so I think as parents, first of all, we need to understand God doesn't expect you to be perfect. He expects you to walk with him. That's the expectation. I don't expect my kid to be perfect. I expect him to walk with me until he's ready to launch and get out of the house. Do I think he's going to make a mistake? I know he's going to make mistakes. I know they're both going to make mistakes. I'm okay with that. We'll navigate those things. We'll walk through those things together. The important thing as a parent is that we are walking with God, that we are right standing with God in these things. And then it goes on, and it says, Among the people of his time, he walked faithfully with his God. Our job is to walk faithfully with God in our time. You weren't born in the 1800s or the 1500s. You weren't born in 500 B.C., and you weren't born in 3200 A.D. You were born now, for this time For this moment, you were called to raise up your child so that one day they could walk out with God and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't need my child to use my faith to walk with Jesus. I need my child to develop their own faith and their own belief with Jesus and walk with him. 
and own that. And so that's what Noah did. And we're going to jump on down and we're going to read through verse, verses uh, 13 through 16. Uh, basically, just between 9 and 13, it's talking about how evil and corrupt the world is or was then. And in verse 13, he says this, So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make it lower, middle and upper decks. So he gives Noah instructions. And he goes, I'm going to, because you're walking upright with me, I'm going to save your family. So I'm giving you a heads up. Here's what you need to do. You need to build this a massive boat. Now this boat doesn't look anything like a boat you see today. You go on a cruise, right, and you got this massive ship and there's party decks and there's all sorts of stuff and you, you got this kind of hull that's a, that's a V-shape or, you know, maybe you go out on a lake and you've got a boat that's kind of flat on the bottom with a little V on the bottom. That's not the ark. The ark wasn't designed. God never intended the ark to cut through water. He designed the ark to float. He designed the ark to be unflippable and nearly unsinkable. And so he gives him instructions on how to do it. And so he says that you're to build this thing, and it's to be 450, I'm sorry, let me go back and read this, 300 cubits long. 300 cubits long is 450 feet. It needs to be 450 feet long. It needs to be 75 feet, uh, 75 feet wide and 45 feet tall. You know what he's building? A rectangle. It's building a rectangle. And any engineer that designs boats will tell you, and they've studied this, this thing is nearly unsinkable. Doesn't need a rudder because he's not steering. He's just going with the waves. He needs something that doesn't sink. And so he's got this rectangle, if you will. And it doesn't look like anything that you or I probably have ever seen. Theologians tell us this, that this was a form of the modern church. We don't need to worry about steering because our captain's in charge of the boat. He will steer it and he will take it where he wants. Jesus will take his church and his body of believers the direction that he wants. He needs us to be unsinkable. It doesn't look like anything else in the world. It doesn't respond like anything else in the world. It doesn't respond or look like any other organization in the world. Think about it. You all are here this morning because you want to be. Got one amen. I don't know if the rest of you want to be here or not. But, right? Look at your neighbor and say, I want to be here. Now look back at him and say, I know that. All right, some of you teenagers on the front row didn't do that. But that's okay, because I know your mom and dad made you. And that's because they're good parents. But 
this is a large rectangle that, like I said, doesn't look like anything else. The church doesn't look like any other organization. People volunteering their time and giving of themselves to push the Bible and the gospel forward, right? To make it unsinkable. And God says, I'm trying to save your family. You know, we went to a Colts game last night. My, my oldest son and I went to a Colts game, preseason game last night. I should say I went to a Bears game, but most of you would boo me for that. So we went, though, because we bought tickets and we wanted to go. But is that going to save my family? If I go to every single Colts game our entire lives together and cheer on people that don't even know I exist, is that going to save my family? No. Right? If my son grows up and goes to Harvard and gets his doctorate in philosophy and and a doctorate in biology, is that going to save the family? No. Because without the sense of morality, belonging, acceptance, believing, patience, and love, and all of the things that the body of Christ instills in an individual, without those things, we don't survive. Our marriage becomes sinkable, our relationships become sinkable, our communication becomes sinkable, the way we relate to one another. People say, I, I hear people say all the time, I don't know how they do it without God. I'm like, I can tell you how they do it without God. They get divorced, they quit their job, they move away and think it's going to be better someplace else, not re- realizing they carry the baggage inside. So they take the baggage from here and they take it to Denver or they take it to Orlando and they wonder why after five years later being in Orlando, they don't understand why it's not any better because it's on the inside of you. The problem's on the inside of you. And so unless we instill in our kids the unsinkable foundation of Jesus Christ, they're going to sink. They can go on a carnival cruise, and I don't mean literally, I mean they can do that, but they can make their life one big party and fun and beaches and going from one happy thing to another. But at some point, the ship is going to run aground, and they're going to wonder, why have I been on this thing? Our job as parents is to say, you don't get a choice. You're going to youth. Too many of us are like, I don't want to fight my kid. I don't want to fight my kid. You better fight your kid because you're fighting for your kid's future. And you're fighting for their marriage. And you're fighting for your grandkids. And you're fighting for their jobs. You better fight. I wish I had some parents that had some backbone to tell their kids, get your butt up. Turn the Xbox off. You're going to youth. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Y'all have been there as parents. You're going to youth and you're going to church and I don't care. Well, if I make them go to church, then they're going to grow up and they're going to be like, oh, my dad made me go to church and I don't want to go to church anymore. Listen, their rebellion is not your fault. How many people grow up going, my dad made me go to all the Pacer games. No, I don't want to see the Pacers anymore. Nobody says that. My dad made me go to all NASCAR races. I don't want to go to NASCAR races anymore. Nobody says that. But suddenly, when it revolves around church, suddenly it's, I don't want to make my kid go because then they'll grow up and they won't want to go. Listen, you can't help it if they rebel. That's on them. Your job is to get them there so they get the stuff in them. Do you know that students study University of Iowa, Stanford, and another university that I can't I don't remember. All did separate studies and found that students 
who are in church do better on standardized scores. They do better in building relationships. They do better in the long term on their jobs. They do better over the course of their life. New study just came out from Gallup. Says that people who are in church or thinking about spirituality or focused on God are happier than those who don't. And they can't, Gallup can't figure it out. They can't get in behind the note. I'm like, I, I don't have to figure that out. I know why that's true. And if I want my kids to be happy in a depressed, sick world, then I gotta plug them into something that's going to sustain them. I gotta get them in the ark of the church to survive the storms that's coming. And if you don't think the storm is coming, I have news for you. It's already here. It's here. And so our job is to say, look, you got to get inside this ark. I know it's not like anything else. I know it's a little abnormal. And it doesn't look like any other ship out there that you can connect yourself to. It doesn't look like anything else that you might go to and enjoy. I get that. But I'm telling you that if you're going to survive this storm, you got to get in the ark. And so God looks down and says, Noah, get your family in. See, we talk about the ark and the animals Right? And we even sing, they came in by twosies, twosies, twosies. Elephants and kangaroosies, roosies, children of the Lord. Yeah, thanks. Right? I need the band up here for that. And we sing about the animals. And then we all, it was never about the animals. It was about Noah and his three sons and his three daughter-in-laws and their children. That's what it was about. And here's what I can tell you. That when you get your family lined up, God will bring the other blessings. He's like, oh, you got a bunch of little, Noah, you got a, you got a bunch of little grandchildren that need entertained on the ark? I'll take care of that. <laughs> Have fun. Go feed them. Clean up the stalls. Well, well, I can entertain, Noah, look, I can entertain your grandchildren. I'll bring in the bears, and I'll bring in the lions, and I'll take care of all of that. And we always think about, how did, you ever wonder how God moved on the animal? I'm like, how did he do that? How did he know to bring two of every kind? Not two of every species. Keep in mind, he only needed two of every kind. People always argue, well, there's no way all the animals could fit on the ark. You're absolutely right. He didn't need, he didn't need two Indian tigers and two Siberian tigers. And then, right, he didn't need two of every species. He needed two of every kind. Because inside each kind is the DNA for every other species. So he, he only needed two large cats be it lions, tigers, whatever, he only needed two of them because inside that DNA is the DNA for all the others. He could have very easily, he just needs two of every kind is what the Bible says. Two of every kind, not two of every species. So he brings them on. And here's what I can tell you, moms and dads, that when you're in the storm and you're doing what God asks you to do, you will save other things and other people. The book of Romans even tells us that the earth isn't growing. The earth is in labor pains and waiting for the children of God to be revealed at his returning. The earth knows stuff isn't right, and it's waiting for the people that are following God to be revealed. It's what the book of Romans tells us. And so in Genesis chapter 6, he says, Noah, I'm going to do this thing. I need you to get your family on board. It does, I know what I'm telling you to build doesn't look right. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like it would flow. Noah, trust me. And then he says, use cypress wood. Cypress wood 
has a lot of resin in it, lots and lots of resin, which is water-resistant, extremely water-resistant. He says, I need you to build this thing out of resin wood, but cypress wood was symbolic of something else, symbolic of two things, depending on how it was used for symbolism. One, cypress wood was symbolic for death, And I'm going to tell you right now that if you're going to raise a family in the ark, you have to die to the stuff on the outside of your house. You're going to have to tell your kids, I know you think that band is cool, but you're not listening to them. I know you think that all your friends are having fun right now, but they're developing habits that aren't healthy for them. And later in life, it's not going to be good. Right? You have to tell your kids, you're going to have to die to that. That's not okay. And some of you teenagers sitting here are like, Man, I just don't tell my parents that. But I'm telling you, there are some things in life you're going to have to say no to. Listen, the language that's used at the school would make sailors from World War II blush. I can tell you that right now. If your kid's in a public school, they're hearing words, they're listening to four-letter words used almost every other word, and some of them are up here nodding their heads. I've got seventh graders up here nodding their heads like, yep, the language is horrible. The jokes that are being told are about as gross and pervertedly sick as you could imagine. The pictures that they show each other on their phones have about little clothes on them as you can imagine. And they share it in junior high. And they share it in high school. Let me tell you something. Your kids don't need access to the world in 6th and 7th grade. They don't. Shut it down. And some of you are like, huh? I, I just asked my son in the kitchen the other day. He had a friend over, and we were talking. I said, so, um, I said, so what do you do when they start telling jokes that are so perverted that it would make, like, a sailor blush? I said, what do you, what do you guys do? And he goes, and I'm pretty proud of my son. He goes, I just walk away, or I smirk. He goes, if I can't, I just smirk and look down at my Chromebook. I'm like, gotcha. Are you repeating him? No, Dad. (laughs) Like, are you repeating that stuff? No, Dad. Right? And his friend was over, and his friend was like, well. I'm like, all right, you're not my son. I can't ground you or beat you, but don't do that anymore. Right? You've got to understand something. The world we live in is degenerate. It's happening even in the elementary school level, and I won't get into that either, but it's there too. You have to use the cypress wood to protect your family to say, that's not okay. And if that means you have to put filters on your internet and you have to put filters on their phone and you have to collect their phones every night and go through their phones and go through their search history, then do it. They got to die to this stuff. And I'm not here to be Debbie Downer because if you know me, I like to have fun. But some things are not okay. When we say as parents, well, they got the phone, they're being good. No, what you really mean is they're being quiet so that you can go do your own thing and be selfish. Oh, snap. I think it got real. <laughs> right? That's what you really mean. They're being good, which means I can go do my own thing and, and they can just be entertained by that. That's not okay either. I'm not saying that the technology is bad. I'm not saying 
that it can't be used for good. But here's what I've learned, that the internet is not making us better. It's just simply revealing more of who we are. And who we are internally is not good. So Jesus comes and he says, guys, come on, get on board this boat because everything else is going to sink. Can you imagine as the Bible says that God closed, Noah couldn't bring himself to close the door to the boat. It says that God had to push it shut. Now, whether he used water pressure or wind, or maybe he just shut it himself, I don't know. But it says that he had to shut the door. Can you imagine the screams, the cries, and everything that that, they had to listen to as they were on the ark and listen to people drown and to listen to people suffer? And God said, no, this is not okay. Sometimes you're just going to let your kids complain. Sometimes you're just going to let your kids cry. Sometimes you're just going to let your kids go that way. You're just going to let your kids complain. It's, it's just the way it is. We have to, Cypress Wood, protect ourselves, die from everything else. And here's what I can tell you from a spiritual standpoint. He says, pitch tar, type of tar on the outside and pitch the inside. The problem with most Kids, when they grow up, is that parents, we got pitch on the outside, and on the outside, our family looks like Christians, and we look like healthy on the outside, but there's no pitch on the inside, and so because the Holy Spirit's not on the inside of the home, it's only on the outside when we go to church, our kids grow up and go, my parents were hypocrites, I'm not going back to church. Unless it's lived out Monday through Saturday, you just got pitch on the outside of the boat. You got to have pitch on the inside and on the outside to save your family. So my question is, are you doing devotions as a family? Are you praying as a family? Are you doing things together spiritually as a family? As I read about in Deuteronomy up here as we were dedicating Hanley and Brian and Cassie, we're, you got to do it on the outside and you got to do it on the inside. Because let me tell you something, you just pitch the outside, the water will get in somewhere. It will get in somewhere. And the world's okay out there. But when the water starts to get in the boat, we got problems, right? You got to pitch the inside too so that if it gets through the outside pitch and it gets through the resin and the wood, it'll hit the other pitch. You got to, parents, we got to do this stuff. It's about protecting our kids and loving our kids and saying, this is not okay. Let me show you a better way. Let me show you how to stay afloat and survive the storm. And so they put pitch on the inside and on the outside of the boat. And we're just going to wrap this up. Chapter 7, verse 1. And it says, And the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animals, and we'll just stop there. He says, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. I don't know about you, but I want God to look down at the priest house and go, I have found you righteous. I'm sparing your family. And here's a beautiful part. Here's a, here's a promise of God in the Old Testament. He says, if you will walk before me all the days of your life, and if your children will walk before me all the days of their life, and if your children's children will walk before me all the days of their life, I will spare your family for a thousand generations. So I did the math on that. 
It's not even been a thousand generations from today going all the way back to the time of Abraham. That's not even been a thousand generations. Think about that. God says, you guys stay with me and I will spare your family for a thousand generations. Now, how long is that in years? Well, as of right now, going all the way back to Abraham, you're looking at about 4,000 years. I could, I could use God sparing my family for 4,000 years. That would be one massive family reunion in heaven, wouldn't it? Be like, whoa, where'd all you come from, right? I'm dead, I'm gone, I'm in heaven. And all of a sudden, pop, 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 pop. It's like, whoa, where'd you guys come from? Well, Dad, I had so-and-so, and I had so-and-so, and I had so-and-so. And that's a genealogy I could sit and listen to, right? And just watch them come into heaven because we chose to walk before God and make the sacrifice to say, family, get in the ark. This world is drowning. Get in the ark. Get in the ark. Get in the ark. Get in the ark. Yes, it doesn't look like anything else. Yes, it looks like the funkiest boat you've ever seen. I don't understand how it stays afloat, but it stays afloat and it works. That's what we got to do. Because when we do, there's a rainbow at the end. And God says, I promise, this is it. This is the end. You made it. And that's what I want to hear. I want to hear God say, Ty, you did it. You got your family in the boat. It didn't make sense at times. It looked funny. And they screamed and they kicked and they cried because they didn't want to be in the boat. And they wanted to go out and swim with all their friends. And you said, nope, you're not going out to do that stuff. All you teenagers are like, man... But I'm telling you, as somebody who's been there, who's done that, who's got the T-shirt to prove it, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Let's stand up this morning. And as we close out in song, I'm just going to make one big general prayer for all of us as parents. And I'm going to ask if Lynn and Amy would come down on this side. And if I can get Steve and Bonnie to come down on this side. And we want to pray with you as we close out in song. If you're here as a parent and you just need guidance for anything, if you want guidance on how to handle your kid or if you want whatever you need prayer for. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life. You say, God, forgive me trying to run my life my way. I want to hand my life over to you. If that's you, we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. The Bible says that when you admit that and you do that, the Bible says now you're a child of God. Now you're on your way to heaven. Prior to that, not so much. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence in this place today. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that's here as, as parents, as we do our best to build this art called a home. May we pitch the outside with the Holy Spirit and pitch the inside with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, may we put the cypress wood up and may we keep you at the center of it. Lord, knowing that there'll be cries on the outside saying, come on, come do this, come say this, come tell this joke, come do whatever. Lord, may we have the wherewithal, the spiritual wherewithal to go, no, I'm different. I have a backbone. I'll stand up to this world. I'll stand up to the current of culture. I'll stand up to it and be different. Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit's power that rises up within us. 
And Lord, I lift up every parent and every student and every child that's here today and I ask that the Holy Spirit would rise up within us that we could be the ark of deliverance in this storm of our culture. And Lord, we will give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.